0: You are listening to Resurrection Indiana. To find out more about our meeting times and location, check us out on Facebook or Instagram or visit our website at resurrectionindiana.org. Greed is good. Said one popular movie of several years ago. Greed is right. Greed works was the villain of a 1980s Wall Street movie, said those words in a speech that had almost sort of become infamous and immortal and sort of held up by movies later on and even by actual individuals. By the end of that movie, people seem to forget, I think, that he was on his way to jail for his criminal business and financial practices. In other words, for his greed and his violation of the Eighth <clears throat> Commandment, you shall not steal. And yet, over the years, it has been reported that young financial workers have seen that character not as a cautionary tale, but as an example, as someone to be emulated. Maybe like the movie, the results have been somewhat predictable. In 2001 was the Enron financial scandal in which CEOs Jeff Skilling and Ken Lay built shareholders out of 74 billion dollars. In 2008, Bernie Madoff tricked investors out of $65 billion through the largest Ponzi scheme in history. WorldCom, Freddie Mac, Lehman Brothers are all other names that make those list of scandals over the last 20 years or so. And they're certainly not the only ones. It's not the amount of money that should catch our attention regarding regard to the Eighth Commandment. Now, certainly that does. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. The truth is, that's such a staggering number that we really can't even relate to it. But rather, it's the attitude behind those scandals. See, the goal here was to get as much as possible, to become as rich as possible, to get away with as much as possible, because money and material things exist for us to be accumulated by us us, there is virtually no understanding that we are accountable to a creator, and that perhaps that creator might have ownership and rights over those things. We look at this commandment today, and ultimately what we see is that we honor God by taking care of things by being good stewards of money and material possessions, not because they belong to us, because they belong to someone else, they belong to God. And so when we come to the Eighth Commandment, well, first of all, we need to ask what is stealing? Because again, like the other commandments, if you've been paying any attention at all, what is stealing? It's more encompassing than we ordinarily think but also then, well, what do we do? We also need to see again, as we do again in all the commandments, how has the gospel worked out in that commandment? What has Jesus done? And what does he show us? So what is stealing? Now, believe it or not, I think this should be an easy question, but there has actually been some debate over exactly what the words do not steal means. There is a history of, of restricting this commandment only to man-stealing, kidnapping. Now, obviously, that sense of the word is included. We generally understand that stealing encompasses much more than that. Now, I raise that difference because we usually think that stealing is just in regard to possessions. But theft can be more than unlawful taking of material possessions. The word for steal covers all kinds of theft. Things like burglary, robbery, larceny, hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, and purse snatching. Pickpocketing and purse snatching, I think, are kind of the same. But it also covers things like embezzlement, extortion, racketeering. In general, though, if we can take all of those things and we can break, break it down into three categories. There's simple theft, there's deception, there's also fraud. So theft is simply taking... This is the part we all get. It's taking something that doesn't belong to you. Even young children generally know this. And of course, there are all sorts of ways that we do this. Now, some are clearly wrong and even illegal, like robbery. But some are tolerated and even accepted. There was one hotel that reported in the first year of business that it had to replace 38,000 spoons... 18,000 tiles, 355 coffee pots, and 100 Bibles. It's also commonplace to fudge information on tax returns, to pad expense accounts at works, to take office supplies. But we're also about time and effort. It's estimated that employee theft of time and property costs American businesses over $200 billion a year. And that comes in the way of stolen supplies, but also in hours paid for workers who surf the internet or play games or otherwise waste time when they're expected to be working. Theft. There's also deception. That can be subtle things like slick salesmanship, convincing people to buy things that they don't really need. It can be packaging that disguises the size of the product or that makes it look better. You're familiar with this if you buy cereal or bags of candy. Can also be techniques that target those people who are most vulnerable to get them to pay more than others. The reformer Martin Luther actually said that taking advantage of our neighbor in any sort of dealing that results in loss to him, in other words, dealing with your neighbor in a way that results in loss to him, taking advantage of him, is breaking the Eighth Commandment. But how often do business practices, even by Christians, do exactly that? theft and deception and fraud. And this is more blatant, too. This can be things like filing false insurance claims. You have a ding in the windshield repaired, but also the crack on the other side while you're at it. can also be claiming credit or ownership of things that don't belong to us. Here we're talking about things like copyright violation, plagiarism, identity theft. I think the place where most of us are familiar with that is copying of like games and music. Years ago, before I was married, I had a roommate whose father was a songwriter and essentially earned his living off of royalties, but his father made a CD for him, and he had done this more than once, made a CD for him of illegally downloaded music. And as he shared it with me, I asked him, I I said, Your dad's a songwriter. Isn't his career dependent? Isn't his income dependent on royalties for his work? Why is he stealing music? And my friend said, oh, well, yeah, he figures he's been ripped off so many times over the years that he should have the right to take whatever he wants. Like I am old enough to remember when Christian bookstores had warnings posted in their music sections of cassettes and CDs against illegally copying music. And of course today we have which is great streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music and they're great for hearing all of your favorite music and for, you know, paying a monthly price or whatever and having access to to everything. But the reason they came about was because the music industry was just trying to get a handle on all of their lost revenue through illegal downloading services on the internet, like Napster, which was one of the first ones. See, the reality is there isn't a one of us in this room who hasn't done one of the things that I've mentioned at one time or another. And I've hardly given an exhaustive list here. So what do we do? Well, that's easy. Steal not. Don't steal. It's obvious that the many forms of stealing, we're called to avoid them, but we're also called to avoid dealing with anything that comes from theft. For example, receiving stolen property or doing business with those who steal. In fact, I think if you ask Chris, I think we have laws against some of that. <laughs> But it also includes holding back from our neighbor what belongs to him. In other words, we can steal by taking, but we can also steal just by not giving. We're called to put aside both. And we need to understand that stealing goes against God in two ways. One, every theft is failing to trust in God's provision for you. And two, theft takes what God has provided for someone else. And so when we realize that, it should lead us to see see that the way we approach our possessions, the way we approach our material things, it's not just about ownership. It's not just about who has rights to what. But it's about the reality that everything belongs ultimately to God. And that causes us to see that our attitude toward possessions is a matter of stewardship. A steward, Philip Ryken says, is someone who cares for someone else's property. He is not free to use it however he pleases, but only to manage it according to his father's intentions. Let me say that again. He is not free to use it however he pleases but only to manage it according to his father's, his master's intentions. Um, Jerry Bridges has put it a different way. He says there's three attitudes you can have towards money and possession. The first, you can say, what's yours is mine. I will take it. (coughs) Second one is, what's mine is mine. I will keep it. Or third, you can say, what's Mine is God's, and I will share it. We need to recognize that all things ultimately belong to God, and that all material things are ultimately temporary. Jesus, of course, says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven." Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But we ought to hold our possessions loosely. You know, there are stories of a fire in Northern California that several years ago, and this probably happens anytime there's a fire like this, of people who ran back in to get prized possessions as they were being evacuated they ended up losing their lives because they failed to get out in time because they couldn't leave whatever that prized possession was behind but if things don't belong to us we can hold them loosely and there's a story I don't know if this is true or not but imagine it might be John Wesley one time returning home to discover that his house had burned down kind of a shock, I guess, But his response, looking at the ruins, was to say, well, I see the Lord decided to take his house back. I'm not sure that would be my response. But we see how we're to hold things there. It's not just enough to not steal and to be good stewards of what we have, recognizing it belongs to God, but we're also called to seek justice Beyond ourselves. You can't be obedient to the eighth commandment when you see it broken around us and then fail to do anything. Tim Keller puts it this way he says, There is an inequitable distribution of both goods and opportunities in the world. Therefore, if you have been assigned goods of this world by God and you don't share them with others, it's not just stinginess, it's actually injustice. (coughs) There's a command in Deuteronomy 10 to defend the cause of the fatherless and the widow, to love the alien, giving him food and clothing, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. And so justice actually becomes a gospel issue in which we're called to love others in the way that God has loved and extended grace to his own people. Flow Automotive was a car dealership that went to uh, change from haggling over prices to they just went to set pricing when it was discovered that after a study was done that different demographics actually paid different prices for cars. One of the things that was done in this demographic study was they discovered that white males generally paid the least whatever reason we were able to sort of haggle down the lowest, or, or maybe were more likely, for whatever reason, given better deals. In contrast, African-American women actually paid the most. Now certainly there are some wealthy African-American women, and there are certainly some poor white males. However, demographically speaking, the way this worked out was often those who were most likely able to afford more, got the best deals, while those who were likely able to pay less, paid more. So when the car dealership realized this, instead of negotiating over price, they began to offer the same prices to everyone. I mentioned the way the internet has changed the way we listen to music today mostly because of the way it has been misused to create theft. But today, if you go to buy a car, the internet is actually helpful. Many car dealers actually have fixed prices. And in fact, access to the internet means that when you're offered a price, you can quickly compare with other dealerships in the area and find out whether you're being given a fair price. Definitely a step forward. enough just not to steal. We need to seek justice as well. Where do we see the gospel in these commands? In Luke chapter 20, Jesus tells the parable of a man who plants a vineyard, and then he lends it out to tenants while he goes away. He goes away to another country. He's gone for some time. And at some point, he sends one of his servants back to collect some of the fruit. But instead of giving some of the fruit, the tenants beat him and they send him away. So the owner sends a second servant, and he's also beaten and sent away. He sends a third, he's also beaten and sent away. And finally, the owner says, I will send my son. They will respect my son. (laughs) Apparently, he doesn't understand the tenants very well. Because when the son shows up, the tenants believe. This is the son. This is the heir. Therefore, if we kill the heir, we will become the inheritors. You can argue the owner wasn't that smart, but the tenants aren't that smart either. That's not how that works. Now, Jesus tells this as a parable of the kingdom. This is near the end of his life, and he is telling this to the religious leaders. Israel was given stewardship of God's kingdom. They were given the promises of the kingdom in the Old Testament, and yet, when the king comes, when the Messiah comes, they reject him. It's the bigger story of that parable. But don't forget what's actually happening here. The kingdom does not belong to the tenants. They're stewards. It is given to them to care for it. The problem is they think it's theirs. They think they have all rights to it. They want to be owners. They want to be in the place of the owner. And so in the end, they kill the son. And what Jesus doesn't explicitly say is this, at least as far as that goes, is that the son actually dies willingly for those who would steal from him. We've been saying all along in this series that Jesus fulfills the law, meaning that he obeys it, that he keeps it perfectly. In each command that we've talked about, how we fall short, how we fail to keep it, Jesus doesn't. Jesus keeps this commandment as well, but he also fulfills this by paying the penalty of breaking it. And in this commandment, Jesus' death on the cross is especially clear. Why? Because Jesus was hung on the cross between to thieves. Martin Luther again, he explains that a judge regards someone as a criminal and punishes him if he catches him among thieves, even if he himself has never committed a crime that deserves punishment. But in the case of Jesus, Luther says, Jesus was not only found among sinners, but he freely chose to be associated with sinners. Jesus had taken on the flesh and the blood of sinners and thieves, and those who were immersed in all sorts of sin. And so when the law found Jesus among thieves, it condemned and executed him as a thief. We, all of us, should be encouraged and lifted up by that, that we who are guilty have a Savior who died for thieves like us. And at the same time, we have Jesus as an example. Jesus fulfills the law, but he also transforms it. And if we wonder, what would Jesus do? The answer is simple. Jesus kept the law. The answer, what would Jesus do? It's not a subjective guessing game where the asker just imagines, well, if I was Jesus, what would I do? Jesus already told us. He said, I came to fulfill the law, to do what God requires. And if you follow him, if you trust in him, that's your calling as well. And it's not something that you do in your own strength. It's something that... When you try, you'll find that you fail at it regularly. And when you do, you look to Jesus who died as a thief for thieves like us. And we find forgiveness and we find the strength to try again. Our witness is not in being perfect people, but in a hope that transforms us into what God intends for us to be. We honor God by caring for things because we recognize that everything belongs to Him. I listed off those scandals and um, criminals, really, at the beginning. But what's wrong with them? I mean, besides the fact that they stole billions, well, they believed that the world was theirs for the taking. Christians are not just people who act differently than the world Christians are people who fundamentally view the world differently we recognize and we believe and we trust in a God who created all things and to whom everything belongs we are not called to steal because we are called to be faithful stewards of all that we have because everything belongs to God We are to be a people who not only believe that, but to be a people who believe that Jesus' love is greater than our theft.